Today we are in John 13. You're welcome to follow along up here or on your phones, or there are also Bibles um, in the seats in front of you. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. They call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one, another, one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for, for this text, uh, for this story that John has recorded. And God, thank you for an opportunity uh, to dig into that. I pray that you will uh, bring through the message that you have for us this morning, and that you'll prepare us each to hear that. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was thinking and praying over this text, I couldn't help but think of a, of a time in my life where receiving service was really challenging but I really needed it. So um, you know how life happens and timing of things isn't always what you would choose, right? It just happens, and so you you work through it. Well, uh, when I was eight months pregnant with our second daughter, we bought a house. And I, we needed to pack up the house and move to a new house. And if you've ever been eight months pregnant before, that is not the best time uh, to be packing and lifting and moving. And I'd had some complications and the doctor's like, yeah, you just need to, you just need to rest. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you just need to rest. And so we, we had family and friends come and they helped pack boxes. And then um, the day we were moving, I was really feeling tired and I had already overdone it by packing up. And so 
We had a whole crew out there, and I remember they sat me in what they called the command chair. <laughs> and it was one of our rolly office chairs, and I sat in the, in the middle of the kitchen and just directed the boxes as they came. And I watched this, this group of family and friends wash all my dishes and, and put them in the cupboards for the first time. And I remember being both so grateful thank you, thank you for being there because I really needed the help. And also, it was so hard to just sit there and be served and, and receive that help. Everyone wants to be the Savior as opposed to the one being saved in any given moment. So in our text today, we find ourselves in an interesting place in Jesus' life and ministry. Um, uh, earlier in the book of John, uh, John has described for us Jesus, born into a humble position in this world, uh, grew up and took on the role of a rabbi in Israelite culture. Uh, he began to teach and travel from town to town. He invited 12 apostles to follow him, uh, to follow their rabbi, and they did, and they learned, and they listened, and they watched what Jesus did. Now John, one of those 12, has written this account for us to read now 2,000 years later his experience of Jesus and who he's come to believe Jesus is. Uh, John's purpose in writing this is that we might believe in Jesus and find life. And so we continue to explore this text. Now, Jesus uh, has uh, come into conflict with the religious leaders in Israel. Uh, in fact, they are now conspiring to have him killed. And the time in which he will hang on a cross is approaching uh, very rapidly. Uh, just a, a week or two ago, we looked at a text in which Jesus entered Jerusalem, the hub of Israelite culture and religion, uh, and he was proclaimed as king. Some hundreds or thousands of people are lining the roads and celebrating our king is entering Jerusalem. And now in today's text, we see Jesus playing a very awkward and uncomfortable and unusual role for a king to play on his hands and knees, washing the feet of his disciples. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved and continued to love. You know, culturally, when we talk about love, we usually talk about a feeling, right? We talk about some feeling that we have towards people. Biblically, love is uh, discussed in quite different terms, uh, although there is a Greek word for that kind of love. Uh, generally, in Scripture, the conversation of love uh, is better understood as posturing ourselves towards and engaging for the well-being of another. Like, I am in this relationship for your sake. I have postured myself for your well-being, and I am taking action towards your well-being. That's a, that's a much more accurate definition of the Greek word that we, uh, that we read here about love. And it describes Jesus, who had loved them all along and uh, would love them to the very end. You know, love isn't always easy, right? Except when it's me, right? <laughs> Love Super isn't always easy, easy. <laughs> right? And especially if we speak in cultural terms of this feeling, let's be honest, 
It doesn't always feel that way, right? Uh, however, if we, if we listen to this definition in Scripture of, of what love looks like as we posture ourselves towards and engage for the well-being of another, well, that's a little bit of a different story. And so in this text, we see uh, John describing Jesus who had loved them, who had engaged for their well-being, who would love them to the end, even if it ends up hanging on a cross. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. John mentions for us Judas. He's already done so earlier in his account, and next week he'll talk in even more detail. Uh, Judas, uh, who kept the money for the group and apparently would steal from it, uh, has agreed to uh, betray Jesus, to, to hand him over to the Jewish uh, rulers and the Pharisees uh, that he might be crucified as they're plotting. So as we read this story, I think um, in, in some ways, our cultural perspective, we read it and we, we feel a little bit uncomfortable about what's happening here. Like Jesus is taking off his outer cloak and he's washing people's feet. It would have been super, super uncomfortable in the first century for the disciples here. And here's, here's why. So it was a desert climate and people usually wore sandals. And so when you entered into one's home, and by the way, hospitality was like a a big deal there. They had all these um, expectations and, and cultural norms for hospitality and what it looked like to be a good host and to be uh, received well and would bring shame on your family if you didn't receive visitors well. And so part of that was that as people entered a home, um, they were given water to either wash their own feet or a servant would come and wash their feet. And typically it wasn't it, it, like even, even on, on the servants, it would be like the, the lowest of servants would come to wash the, the visitor's feet. And so it wasn't a glamorous role. It wasn't a glamorous job. Um, even in the first century. Have you guys ever done a foot washing ceremony in a church? Has anyone ever experienced that? Trying to recreate that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's really special for some. It wasn't my favorite thing. I've only experienced it once. I'm also like super, super ticklish at the bottom of my feet, and so I'm like, (laughs) I will kick you. (laughs) You need to stop. (laughs) Um, But it was a really uncomfortable scene for the disciples because here's their rabbi, here's their teacher, here's the one that they're following, and all of a sudden he's choosing. This role, the role of a servant to wash their feet? It's fascinating uh, to see the role reversal um, in this text. And uh, in what verse was it? In verse, shoot, where does it speak of his power? In verse 3, all things had been put under Jesus' power. Uh, It's curious in this situation. What do most people do when they get power, right? They wield it over people. 
They exert it to gain more power. They use it to influence people and to get the things that they personally want for, for them and for their friends and their people. That's the way power is typically wielded in the world. And in this text, I love the way John describes this. Masterfully puts this. Jesus, all power under his control, and he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes feet. The story continues in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you are not going to wash, or are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in, with me. Then, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, not everyone was clean. So Peter was by far the most impulsive of Jesus' disciples. Uh, time and time again, we read these stories of, of Peter just jumping out at the first, like literally out of the boat at one point. He rips most of his clothes off and dives out into the water so that he could get to Jesus quicker than the boat is able to get there. Uh, Peter is the one who, in the garden as Jesus is arrested, pulls out a sword and begins to fight instead of uh, uh, submitting to, to the plan that is actually in place. Uh, Peter is constantly impulsive. And, and you see it here in this awkward little conversation that I just, I just love, these quirky little things. Uh, Jesus says, no, it, you, you know, unless I wash you, you got no part of me. And he says, okay, give me the full bath then, Jesus. And Jesus, in a really practical moment, has to say, no, you don't understand. You're already clean, buddy. You took a bath already. I'm here to wash your feet. I love Peter, and I love uh, just the really practical, interesting uh, moment in which Jesus finds himself. And Jesus is often um, doing things like this. Like uh, I, I think of it as an object lesson. It's like we're just living life, and let's teach a really deep, profound truth through something that's uh, very, very normal in life. And so here he he says to Peter, "Unless I wash you, you have no part with me." He's really driving home uh, a point here, really a couple points that I think are, are really important. First, humility in service, and second, his cleansing power, the power of Jesus to cleanse. That Jesus, the, the king, Jesus, the rabbi, Jesus, the Messiah, would choose humility in washing his disciples' feet. I think in, in part, in the, from the perspective of the disciples, it almost felt humiliating. Like Jesus was choosing humiliation because he was stooping so low, quote unquote, um, in the disciples' minds to, to do this, to wash their feet. And yet this is who, this is a posture Jesus takes, and this is foreshadowing that he, he will continue to take this posture to the very end, and he will choose death on the cross for, for the well-being of humanity. And so um, Jesus, with his object lesson, is driving home this point that we need to be humble in our service, and also that Jesus has the power to clean, to cleanse 
that through Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection, um, humanity is made clean. People can be whole again, that sins are atoned for and forgiven, that mercy is received and new life is offered to us. And so Jesus is saying here to Peter, you may not like this. This may be super uncomfortable for you, but this is how I'm choosing to move forward. I will choose to wash feet. I will choose to serve. I will choose, Jesus will choose to die on the cross, and it will be both humbling and humiliating in some ways, but this is the posture that Jesus takes. As you describe this idea of cleansing, uh, coming to my mind is both our understanding of it and, and Israel's. Um, often when we talk about cleansing in the church, we'll talk about our sins being washed away and that sort of thing. But I'm thinking in this moment as you described that of, of a bunch of Israelite men sitting with Jesus and him describing and demonstrating this cleansing power and thinking of the Pharisees who have been teaching uh, that the only way Israel will come out of our slavery to Rome, right? The only way we regain our nation, the only way we become the as chosen people of God, again, is if we cleanse ourselves, if we live perfectly, if we are right in the eyes of God, then he'll bless us and bring it back. So this, this is the message that Israel is hearing from their leaders all along. And here's Jesus, the one who can cleanse, getting down, demonstrating for them, it is by my power and my service, my placing myself in this place, that you will find your cleansing. The text continues in verse 12. Uh, when he had finished washing their feet, uh, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than, than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. So Jesus is demonstrating, here's how I'm going to posture myself. I'm going to serve. I'm going to choose this. And then he takes it the step further, <laughs> right? And he says, and so since I'm living this way, now you should as well. Since I have washed your feet, go and do likewise. He's saying here that to, to serve is what it looks like to follow Jesus. That Jesus came to serve. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, if the disciples are going to follow Jesus, then that looks like service. That, that looks like, um, washing each other's feet, so to speak. And it made the disciples super uncomfortable. And I think in our lives, sometimes the type of service that Jesus calls us to also makes us super uncomfortable. That, but this is what it's all about to be, to be like Jesus is to be willing to be uncomfortable in that service. And you think about the people whose feet he's washing and John has called our attention to Judas, a man who is in the process of betraying Jesus to his death. Can you picture Jesus on his hands and feet? washing that man's feet, knowing precisely what's, that, what's happening in that moment. What, what's Jesus after here? What's he demonstrating for us? He's saying there is no position too low. 
There is no person too far gone or too low that we're not called to engage and serve. Jesus not only teaches, but he demonstrates for us. There is no person or position too low that we ought not engage. And then in verse 17, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you serve in this way. I mean, when you think blessing, what do you, what do you think about? Often, um, we in our culture would equate blessing to comfort and ease. If I have all the things, if I feel comfortable, if life is going smoothly, well, then hashtag blessed, <laughs> right? Like that's often how we would think of blessing. And, and much of our lives is dedicated to pursuing ease and comfort, to pursuing the things that will make our life more comfortable. And, and note that's not inherently wrong to be comfortable or to be at ease. That's, that's not wrong. Uh, in fact, we went backpacking this last, um, week. We had a lot of fun. I would say it was not comfortable many moments of it. And I was, uh, super excited to come back home to my comfortable bed and, uh, the comfort of having running water right there and electricity and all the things that, that make my life easier and more comfortable. So, so it's not the fact that it's comfortable that makes it wrong, but rather it's a question of what's motivating us. What are the principles that are motivating us? And here Jesus is saying that, um, that we will be blessed if we serve, that the blessing is found in the service. I wonder... And, and if you have a good answer to this question, please do share, because it's a question I'm still asking. Um, but I wonder, how would it change our lives if service was our primary mode of operation instead of ease and comfort? If, like, my pr- primary motivation for how I lived was about service instead of my own ease and comfort, how different would my life look? How would it change our perspectives if we viewed serving others as a blessing rather than a sacrifice, how would it change the way we think and the way we schedule our time and, and, and how we live? I love the way John describes this. Uh, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Have you ever heard the expression that knowledge is power? There's a little bit of truth in that, but really it's knowledge applied that is powerful, right? It's knowledge that, that, that motivates good, wise action, proper action in life. And so John describes this. So you now know this. You have seen the example of what it's like to serve, uh, to get on your hands and knees and wash feet. You now know this, but you will be blessed if you apply it in your life. So much of our society revolves around power, and, um, and that's nothing new. Uh, throughout history and nations, uh, the rise and fall of empires, you see this power dynamic. Who holds the power? And, and, for, and for what purposes is this power being wielded? And Jesus demonstrates a radical position when it comes to power, one of service, hands and feet and washing feet. So I want to look for a moment as we close out today, we want to look at, at what Jesus demonstrates in relation to power. Remember John said all power, all authority has been put uh, under Jesus 
And here he is washing feet. First of all, I see in Jesus a recognition of power. John, John's recognizing it as he writes his text. Jesus knows his position and the authority that he wields. Now, this is an interesting conversation because I would propose that we often don't know the power that we wield. I think Jesus is cognitively, intentionally engaging, knowing that he has power, and so it's motivating a particular kind of action, and that is, in this case, service. So the first thing I see here is his recognition of his power. And then he makes a conscious choice on how he's going to use that power. So he's not going to wield that power as a weapon, but he's going to use it a certain way way. I mean, if you think about all the things that Jesus has done in his life, all the miracles, all the healings, the walking on water, the transfiguration, like uh, if you think about um, multiplication of food and raising Lazarus from the dead, like just the how big and, and how noticeable those miracles were. I, you mentioned uh, Peter, um, at the arrest, and I was thinking about that, that passage in Matthew. It talks about as Peter gets out his sword to fight, Jesus tells him to put it away, and he says to Peter, don't you know that I could call on a whole army of angels, and they could be here in a split second if I wanted? And in this moment, his death is approaching. Jesus has all this power. He could do whatever he wanted. He chooses this posture. Instead of demonstrating in some grandiose way of, here's the power I have, he chooses this posture to wash feet. He chooses a posture of service. And I think that's interesting. You know, uh, we, we love the, the practice of doing service projects. You know, if it's at a food bank or if it's cleaning up your neighborhood park, these are wonderful things to do. But I think what Jesus demonstrates here kind of transcends those one-off sort of service things. What he demonstrates here is the ability to see the world around us a little bit differently, to engage from a different place with a different purpose in this world. Uh, what if my power wasn't for my benefit, for me to gain more in this life? But what if what resources I had, what opportunities I had, what conversations I engaged in? What if, I, what if God was placing me in those places that I might be his hands and feet, that I might be of service to him and to other people? And we see here Jesus setting an example. And uh, we've probably, most of us have heard it said, actions speak louder than words. And in some, some ways that's true, but, but what I see here in Jesus is that his actions and his words are lining up. And that's the, that's the most powerful of all when, when our beliefs and our words and our actions all line up. And right here, that's what Jesus is doing, that, that sweet spot. Um, that, and this is one of the things about Jesus that keeps making me come back to him, that in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in the continued presence of Jesus with us, Jesus' words and his actions line up, and, and he remains constant in the same. He invites us to a new perspective, uh, a perspective in which uh, all that I have is not intended just for myself, uh, but instead I am intended to be of service to other people. You know, it's interesting because this is uh, such a such a central theme 
to all of Scripture. I think of the Old Testament, some two-thirds of your Bible, this Old Testament story of God making a covenant with a man named Israel, or a man named Abraham, uh, making a covenant with the nation of Israel, saying, I will bless you that you might be a blessing to all nations. And we read this, this Old Testament text, the story of the, the, this Israelite nation and how they kept losing sight. God's blessing us, and so we hold on to it, and we keep the others away as so often their posture. But God's initial intent was that Israel be blessed that they might be a blessing in this world. And I think in the same way in our text today, Jesus is demonstrating on an individual, personal, one-on-one level uh, why we have received the things we've received and what posture we're invited to take in this world based upon the great blessing that God has showered upon us. And that is a perspective, a posture of service in this world. We're invited to a new perspective, and we're also invited to new action. Uh, to a life of service. And often when, when we talk about this passage, the, the, the message, the takeaway is, so go serve. Be, be the server. And yes, we are called to a life of service. But we're called to live in community in which we are serving each other. And so the bigger picture there is that we are to see people and we are to, to offer help and to serve when we can. And also, we are to receive that help and we are to receive that service. We're, we're not, um, in and of ourselves able to do it all. Right? This is us submitting to Jesus. We receive from Jesus his love and grace and mercy. And as we live out our lives trying to be like Jesus, we extend this love and grace and mercy and also we receive it from each other. And so we are invited to a life dedicated to service, both the giving of service and also the receiving of service. Yeah, there's an invitation in this text today for each of us, uh, uh, that begins with a shift in perspective. Uh, what if God placed me in this neighborhood, in this job, in this home, right? What if God placed me here for a purpose? What if God placed me here that I might demonstrate his love, that I might serve people around me? And then it transitions as each of us, it's going to look different in the week to come. But what does it look like then to intentionally serve, to intentionally lower ourselves instead of puffing up and looking bigger than we are and seeking more power and opportunity to look people in the eye and really just consider what would it look like? to serve this person. And often it's going to be as simple as a kind word spoken as you meet them. Uh, sometimes it's going to be really big uh, when it comes to washing Sarah's dishes and moving her into a new house, right? <laughs> it's going to be many different things is what I'm describing. And it's going to be big and it's going to be small, but you are invited this week to consider the way of Jesus, which is a way of releasing power, that is using what opportunity we have to serve people around us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus' example here of, of humility and service, his example of what, what we do with power and influence. And Lord, you have placed us in our homes, in our, our networks of, of friends and acquaintances, in our communities, and we each have power and influence 
in our own ways, in our own circles. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes that we might see where we have that power and influence. And Lord, that you would transform us and teach us how to um, live a life dedicated to, to the service of others, to live a life in which we love others by, by looking out for their well-being in the, in which we humble ourselves enough to both serve and to receive service. Lord, remind us this week that we need you and we need each other and we get to be there for each other. Remind us, um, when it's super inconvenient, (laughs) remind us that it's in those moments that we get to choose to love like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.